electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Stocks moving higher as stronger-than-expected GDP boosts sentiment, with the Nasdaq getting an extra lift from Tesla's solid results. This is the make-or-break hour for your money. Welcome, everyone, to Closing Bell. I'm Sarah Eisen. Take a look at where we stand. There's the Nasdaq up a nice 1.3%. Thank you to Tesla for that one. The, the Dow's up about 130 points. High of the day was 177. S&P 500 is up 8 tenths of 1%. Energy is the leading sector today after that Chevron buyback. That was announced. We'll talk more about that, of course. Consumer discretionary, communication services, technology, all leading sectors. In fact, you've got most of the sectors green right now. What's lagging? Consumer staples and healthcare. So two defensive groups. And again, the Nasdaq in the lead up 1.3%. Thank you, Tesla, Microsoft, Apple, Meta, Amazon. They're all higher today. Look at Tesla in particular because it is adding to strong gains so far this year following record revenues and earnings that topped Wall Street estimates. We're going to talk more about it later in the show. Also ahead this hour, Council of Economic Advisors Chair Cecilia Rouse joins us to talk about today's GDP print, plus the White House's response to news that Chevron is undertaking that $75 billion buyback, something the administration has been very critical of in the past. We'll start off, though, with the market dashboard. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli. Kind of a broad rally, Mike. What are you focusing yeah, on? Yeah, Sarah, and I would just emphasize another sort of tenacious showing by the dip buyers today. Yes, it was a reassuring GDP report that started things out, but it could have been taken the other way. We could have started to reprice and rethink what the Fed's going to do. Uh, could have maybe started to feel as if the negative uh, elements of the GDP number were going to start to come through. But it seems like the bulls are making a further bid to perhaps win back the benefit of the doubt. Now, nothing is uh, determined here, but... You know the line. Uh, we basically crossed above that downtrend line that's been in place for a while. The next thing to keep in mind, we're at about a six or seven week high, 4,100 early December. Uh, that line is setting a higher bar than just going flat. I think you do have to overshoot it a little bit to really get the benefit of the doubt back. But clearly, uh, you have no longer have tech really leaning on the indexes. At the same time, cyclical stocks really starting to perform relatively well. Uh, take a look at the buyback ETF alongside the S&P 500 over five years, as well as the dividend aristocrats ETF. Now, this is simply meant to show that it's not as if companies that buy back a lot of their shares automatically tend to outperform. In fact, it's for long periods of time, not the case at all. Here's the S&P 500 on this span. It was really outperforming both dividend and buyback strategies for quite a long time. Yes, it helps the overall market. It puts cash back in the investors' hands out of the company uh, coffers, but it's not necessarily the kind of thing where you can automatically goose your share price, Sarah, simply by repurchasing your own stock. You wouldn't know it, though, from today. <laughs> right. The reaction. It is. It, it, well, yes, if you have run. great cash flow and you can also invest at the same time like Chevron, it does help. Just want to run through a headline here. Yep. Take a look at shares of Bed Bath & Beyond. Uh, just putting out a filing saying that the company does not have sufficient resources to repay amounts under its credit facilities. There's the reaction down 27%. So, here we go. Yeah, Bankruptcy. so this is uh, a not unexpected further shoe to drop here once uh, Bed Bath has already talked about the perhaps uh, difficulty they're going to have to service the debt. In fact, the way that the company's corporate bonds trade yep. 
basically said it's a done deal that they're going to have to restructure this thing somehow. So and we know a it's while, a meme stock. Right? We know that the it gets. The meme traders never got to the bond market. No, of course not. And they, you know that it's still going to be a story even after this. I already saw some of the, the chatter uh, saying, you know, we still can squeeze this thing higher. So uh, this is something that, that sort of suggests that things are getting worse more quickly. Mike, thank you. We'll see you soon. Mike Santoli. Our next guest is calling this market a Cincinnati Bengals market, which is why you know he got the invitation to be on the show, saying the rally this year is real and doesn't get the respect it deserves. Joining us is Carson Group Chief Market Strategist Ryan Dietrich. Agree regarding the Bengals. Don't, 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 they don't get the respect that they deserve. And I think we're proving that, aren't we, Ryan? What about the market? You, you think the, the bull market is just not loved or believed? That's, that's right. I did wear my Bengal orange here sitting in the city of Cincinnati. And you think about it, no one believed the Bengals. They just proved it last Sunday. They're legit. And we see this bull market, right? I was on with Mike, right? The second week of October saying this is near a major low. We're probably going to rally. And we gave me a funny look when I said that. But look at what's happening. The stuff Mike just said, the cyclical areas are leading. Tech is finally participating. You know, you've got credit spreads are still tight. The, the economy is not perfect. But all that negativity, I mean, everyone that comes on this show, right? What are they saying? Things aren't that great. But from that contrarian point of view, with the leadership we're seeing, the strong market breath to us, October was the lows. And this year could surprise a lot of people, much hopefully like the Bengals will, and be a really good year for investors. All the way. We're going to win it this year, the Super Bowl, Ryan. So I, I get that you know people started the year really negative. There, there was a lot of bearish sentiment, a lot of concerns about the economy collapsing. 23 is going to be the year of recession, all this stuff. And so people were too negative. But that yep. can only take you so far, right, where you get off sides on positioning. What, what is the actual bull case for why you should be in stocks right now with earnings and the economy set to slow? Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, let's not forget, right, the stock market tends to lead the economy. And you think about the, this U.S. dollar is so much lower. That strength dollar last year hit earnings hard, and we're seeing that now. We think as the dollar weakens as we continue with the fact inflation's coming back sooner, the Fed's likely got one or two more hikes, then they're going to pause. Those are all in there. But I'll tell you, at the end of the day, it's the consumer, right? I mean, look what MasterCard said, what you know, Visa's probably going to say, um, you know, the GDP number. The consumer still is strong. It's not perfect, but that is one of the reasons that Carson Group. We've been saying the whole time we don't see a recession this year. By the way, it's the third year of a presidential cycle. We haven't had a recession, a third year of a presidential cycle going back to World War II. And we all know you get a third. Well, maybe you don't know, but here's what you need to know. There's a 32 percent <laughs> bounce on average off of a midterm year low. OK, we just had the midterm year low October 12th. That would get us close to all time highs. We're not saying we're going to make all time highs this year, but it's not as crazy as it sounds when the strength and tendency of a third year of a presidential cycle. Got it. So you're talking about the, the cycles and the seasonalities and, the, mm -hmm. and, and that sort of the patterns, which I know you do a lot of work and I follow your tweets on that subject. So, Ryan, who's the, you know, Cincinnati Bengals might be underestimated, but, but we do have some stars and, and people don't underestimate them like Joe Burrow. Who's that of, the, of this market? Where do you look for leadership? Yeah, we're sticking with the cyclicals, right? Those cyclical value, your industrials, your financials are starting to come in. Their materials, right? As China reopens, look at copper, look at those base metals. Those are some things a year ago right now, Sarah. A year ago, what was leading? Utilities, maybe some healthcare, some staples. It is a 180, right? And are people listening to what the market's telling them or not? But we are getting leadership from the right areas now. And those are the groups we think can continue to lead as we likely avoid a recession and actually get better economic data the second half of this year, thanks to that weak dollar. But isn't it predicated on the dollar continuing to weaken and Treasury yields continuing to fall? 
Yeah, not the whole thing, not, not all of it, but yeah, I mean, clearly if the dollar were to soar again, that would be, they'd be a, a, you know, a, a headwind for the bulls. But again, with what we've seen with global banks, the Fed did its hikes already, and now the rest of them are catching up. We still think the pressure to the dollars to the downside, and um, you know, likely that can be another tailwind for, for the bulls. I feel like what could work against your case is that, you know, there's a feeling that the market is too optimistic about the Fed pause, a potential mm-hmm. Fed pivot into cutting and that a lot of this this rally is predicated on that you know we just got this 2.9 percent gdp number that that, it's not good news the fed is trying to slow growth and slow inflation i guess it's good to have economic growth but not at a time where the fed is is hiking and now there's an expectation it'll have more work to do no you're right and let's be honest the next two quarters we might see negative gdp we'll see we saw that obviously last year and we, we came back so maybe that's what the fed wants but the truth again if you look under the surface right we've talked on these shows before rents are lower used cars are lower those are things you wanted to see come back right and they are and it's going to continue to kind of press inflation lower and that likely will give the fed the leeway again to just kind of take a look around and say okay we had 40-year highs in inflation we're comfortable where it is and we think that's what's going to be the case here how, how long have you been bullish? Have you always been this bullish? Well, we were even weight uh, equities until the last week of December at Carson Group. We, I think December 23rd or so, we went to overweight equities, and we're expecting between a 12 to 15% bounce this year in, um, in stocks, in the S&P 500. Got it. All right. Yep. Ryan, thank you for joining me. Appreciate it. Appreciate- Thank you. Who day? Always good to have a a who day. Uh, Ryan Dietrich. Still ahead, Council of Economic Advisors Chair Cecilia Rouse swaying in on news of Chevron's buyback, plus her take on the state of the economy following that GDP print this morning. You're watching Closing Bell on CNBC, up at 120 on the Dow. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Look at Chevron. It's soaring today. The entire energy sector up a bunch after Chevron announced a $75 billion stock buyback, along with a dividend hike. The news prompting backlash from the White House and officials telling CNBC, quote, for a company that claimed not too long ago that it was working hard to increase oil production, handing out $75 billion to executives and wealthy shareholders sure is an odd way to show it. We continue to call on oil companies to use their record profits to increase supply and reduce costs for the American people. Joining us now, first on CNBC, on this, the economy and more, the chair of the Council of Economic Advisors, Cecilia Rouse. Chair Rouse, good to see you again. Thank you. It's, it's great to be with you. Just on the Chevron buyback story, what, what, what exactly is the problem that you guys have? Because this is a company, along with many others, that's spending $14 billion on R&D to increase production in this country. So look, 
We learned today, as you noted in your earlier segment, that in the, at the last quarter of 2022, the last half of 2022, that our economy grew at a solid pace. We got annualized 2.9% GDP. We saw that. We, we also had unemployment insurance claims today. We see that unemployment insurance claims remain you know, near historic lows. Uh, all the while, we see that you know, the quarterly price index for GDP uh, has moderated. Uh, I have not seen the monthly change. I'll, uh, I'll get that later today, and we'll report that tomorrow. But we see that inflation, uh, CPI, PPI, that's easing. So we see an economy that has uh, been resilient. Uh, we see prices easing. Uh, and all the while, if we think about what the president was just talking about, uh, all the investment that we are in the process of starting to do and will continue to do of investing in America, this president, is his entire focus is on making the important investments so that we can increase productivity here uh, and generate economic growth that is sustainable and that is more widely shared. So, you know, the, the issue with Chevron's buyback is they made record profits. They could choose to invest that. We know we have big challenges in energy going forward. They could choose to invest that. Instead, they chose to do stock buybacks. This is a president that is focused on our future, focused on making investments, making things here in America, ensuring that Americans have jobs here uh, in a way that is sustainable and, again, more equitably shared. I think just on this point, and, and then we can talk about the broader economy, just on the Chevron point, you know, it, it, it fuels this idea that the president is at war with the with the oil industry and, and they're not speaking the same language when when, in fact, these oil companies are increasing their production, and their capex. And as far as, you know, capital discipline, they're they're doing it the best way they know how. I, I think back to the early 2010s when the oil companies just spent everything on production and then we had a glut and then we had six years of a bear market that crushed their that crushed their companies. So I don't know. It, it, it feels like a difficult thing to tell them how to manage their capital. Well, look, the president understands that the companies need to make their investments and they're making their decisions. Uh, but what we what we can see is that the price signal suggests that we you know, we should be making these kinds of investments. Uh, energy is crucial to our economy. Uh, the president believes in, uh, you know, again, forward looking. We need to be making investments to ensure we get that we have the energy we need to power this economy. Uh, you know, he's a president also that believes that uh, the, the kinds of revenues of rents should be more equitably shared in this, uh, uh, among Americans. So the president is mostly focused on the fact that we need all hands on deck as we focus on investing in our energy sector, and he expects the energy companies to participate in that. Yeah, well, I think they would argue that they are. But on, on the economy, Chair Rouse, you know, the GDP number certainly looked good on the surface, but one and a half percentage points of growth was, was inventory builds, which isn't necessarily what you want to see for healthy growth, is it? Well, so look, as, the, as we've all understood, the growth in 2021, what, 5.7%, was largely fueled by our recovery from the pandemic recession. That was unsustainable. So we've known that we're going to need to make this transition to a lower level of growth that is more sustainable. Uh, that is powered by productivity increases, and that was going to involve, uh, you know, easing off of the altitude that we achieved last year. So we expect it to cut. To, we expect GDP growth to slow down. Uh, we believe this is part of the transition, and that we were, we're we are again, as I mentioned before, we're mm -hmm. looking forward to uh, you, you know achieving the kind of productivity growth that's powered by increases in productivity that are solid and sustainable, uh, and therefore will you know and. and generate that we have economic growth going forward for decades to come. 
here, here at CNBC, we, we cover the companies, and every day there are at least a few high-profile companies, whether through their earnings reports or separate announcements that are, are laying off workers, thousands of workers. And now it's expanded from high-growth tech companies that boomed during COVID to, to other companies like IBM, Dow Chemical. I mean, we're showing a wall with some of the recent announcements. What do you make of, the, of this growing trend? How concerned are you? So we do keep our eye on the data. What you're citing are individual companies making these announcements. Uh, I just noted that if we look at unemployment insurance claims uh, this week, if we average over the last four weeks, if we go back, uh, they've, they've remained low. That said, we are keeping our eye on these data. We're looking at the Warren data as they come out, uh, and we will you know, look to respond as we go forward. But at the moment, we are, you're responding to, and we are keeping our eye on as well, individual companies, but they're not, they are not reflecting at the moment the, the broader economy. What, what, when you say we will respond, what, what do you mean? What would be the response from the White House to well, increasing unemployment? Well, we look, we understand that we're going to have to have a, a renormalization as we get through. We are still working through the, the effects of the pandemic. So we know that there's going to be a renormalization. What I'm responding to is the fact that uh, we understand that there may be some, as the, the Federal Reserve cools the, the economy, um, there may be some response in the labor market, but we have counter-cyclical measures, unemployment insurance. Uh, we have, again, these investments that we see through the bipartisan infrastructure law, the, the Inflation Reduction Act, the, the CHIPS Act, mm -hmm. where we are starting to make these investments, which will also call for increasing. We are just getting started on implementation that will call for increasing jobs for Americans. Uh, so we believe that, that some of those investments will provide a kind of counter-cyclical measure as the, as the Federal Reserve is also also yeah. easing inflation. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, we're, we are keeping our eye on, we are keeping our eye on the economy, but so far we understand that these individual com uh, companies have made these announcements, but we're not seeing it yet in the, in the broader data. No, yeah, it, it's, it's been a question mark too for us, even when we look at the monthly data. So on the inflation story, which is really what it's, what's all about for the markets, the economy, the Fed, do you think we've seen the peak and how fast do you think it comes down from here? So I, you know, I don't pretend to understand where we're headed, but what I can say is we've been seeing what has become what, you know, largely a trend. We've seen a, a deceleration in inflation, monthly inflation of the last uh, half of the year. Again, when we look at the, the price index of GDP from the quarter, we saw some easing there as well. So certainly it's all trending in the right direction. There are threats on the horizon. We still have Russia's unprovoked war in Ukraine. We have China's reopening. We have uh, the, the threat of the debt ceiling, mm -hmm. which would also generate some turmoil in financial markets as we get closer. Uh, we need to be we need to raise the debt ceiling. We need to be paying our debts. So we have those yeah. debts on the horizon. But what we've seen to date is inflation uh, has now. It's not just been one month because we don't like to focus on just one month. But we have seen a trend of inflation that looks like it's headed in the right direction. Chair Rouse, thank you so much for joining me today on GDPJ. Appreciate it. Thank you. Cecilia Rouse from the White House. I want to point out shares of Southwest. They are sinking today after the company outlined the damage done from the holiday travel meltdown. Philibo spoke with Southwest CEO earlier, joins us more. Phil, did he have good explanations for, for folks that are so angry at this company? Uh, not the kind of explanations that I think people want to hear. Look, they admit that their system just could not handle the level of cancellations and the cascading effect of rebooking 
tens of thousands of passengers in a very short period of time. The impact of that, we saw it in the bottom line. They reported a worse than expected loss of 38 cents a share. The street was expecting a loss of 12 cents a share. The impact of the meltdown itself, $800 million. Here's CEO Bob Jordan talking to us about what happened and why he believes they can make sure it doesn't happen again. It wasn't just to clear it up, it wasn't a failure in the scheduling software. What happened was we got to the point where there were so many transactions to solve that we got behind, and the software is not designed to solve past problems. Uh, the good news is D Digital already has a fix in place that's in test today that will be able to handle that condition if we get there again. They, don't, they hope they don't have to get to that point again, and they know that they are already feeling the impact of that meltdown here in the first quarter. It's going to be an impact of 300 to $350 million from people canceling flights, booking slowing down. They believe that bookings will accelerate and get back to a more normal level starting in March. We'll have to see. It's a little bit too far out at this point. As you take a look at shares of Southwest, keep in mind that spring and summer are going to be critical for us to get a better perspective about whether or not there is any long-term damage here, Sarah, in terms of the brand, in terms of customers saying, I've had it. I'm not coming back to Southwest. A little too soon to say that at this point, but again, it's clear. The numbers today show the impact of the fourth quarter, and we're also seeing it here in the first quarter. Yeah, you certainly got that vibe on, on social media if you followed it. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau. Let's check in on the broader markets right now. Dow's up about 155 points or so. The, the high of the day was about 170. Uh, as far as what's working in terms of the sectors, you've got steel, oil, and gas. That's the best performing. But a lot of the consumer sectors are working too, like casinos, for instance. Uh, energy's at the top of the market. Consumer communication services, those are the top three. Talk about a buzzkill. Shares of Diageo, the parent company of Johnny Walker and Captain Morgan, falling today on the back of earnings and concerns in particular about North American growth. Up next, you'll hear from the company's CEO, his read on the U.S. consumer, plus his thoughts on inflation, supply chain, and of course, the boom in tequila when we come right back. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Shares of spirits maker Diageo, parent of brands like Johnny Walker, Kettle One. They're moving lower today on the back of fiscal first half earnings. The company topping sales estimates, but analysts are pointing to results in North America, which still showed growth, but not as much as expected and weaker volumes, too. I spoke earlier with CEO Ivan Menezes and began by asking him about the business in the United States and what's happening here. The U.S., actually, the consumer offtake is robust. So what we're seeing in the U.S. market is through COVID, growth rates had accelerated. You know, our U.S. spirits business is 45% bigger than it was pre-COVID. And when you look at consumer offtake trends, the market has come back to about mid-single-digit growth, which is what we've always expected, and we're holding share. So what you're seeing in our reported sales results is a bit of the supply chain discontinuities from last year, restocking from last year, and uh, uh, 
replenishing stock into distributors. So underlying health with the consumer strong, uh, the top end premiumization strong, and mm. I remain confident about the U.S. consumer and the spirits market fundamentals. So it's not, it sounds like you're saying it's not necessarily consumer recession behavior. We're trying to figure out a lot of mixed messages here on the U.S. economy. Yeah, so the way I, if you look at consumer behavior, and uh, even if you look at the retail sales through November, December in the U.S., I think what you have at work is the consumer is savvy, very smart in terms of how they shop and what they want. So if you looked at November, December uh, retail sales in the US, grocery and beverages did well. They were yeah. uh, six, seven, eight percent growth. Things like electronics and furniture declined. Uh, apparel was weak. And so what you have with the consumers, they're making very deliberate choices, places they want to mm -hmm. spend and where they want to cut back. And we fortunately belong in a category because people long for socializing and celebrating. The on-trade restaurants and bars are very strong and uh, doing really well in the US. Mm -hmm. And so our sector and our category uh, belongs in the bucket of people wanting to spend to make those moments count and to make them more special. And that's why we see premiumization strong. I mean, single malts, for example, were up 60% in these numbers in the US. Uh, brands like Lagavulin had a terrific time. Bullet Bourbon was strong. Tequila continues to grow off a very big base now. Uh, we grew 28% on tequila with Casamigos and Don Julio. So I'm, uh, the two trends that persist through this period mm -hmm. is uh, uh, consumers prefer spirits to wine and beer and they're drinking better. And so premiumization has held up. What's happening with pricing? Are, the are your costs coming down and are you able to moderate those higher prices for the consumer? Well, we're fortunate in that we have multiple levers to deal with inflation. Inflation is, is real, it's high. Uh, we had high single digit cost of goods inflation. Uh, but we, we use a combination of productivity inside the company, which we continue to step up. Uh, the fact that we s uh, are selling more premium products where we make better margins. You know, Johnny Walker Blue Label doing very well gives us higher margins. Uh, half our liquids are aged. So the whiskey that goes into a bottle of Lagavulin or Johnny Walker Black Label was, late, was distilled 12 years ago. And, and then we look at price. So we are taking price, but we have more levers to offset that. And that's why I'm pleased in these numbers where we grew sales 9%, we were able to expand margins. We grew profits 10% while we were investing back in marketing uh, and digital and capital mm -hmm. spending in the business. Uh, so uh, we, take, we use price in a very targeted and judicious way uh, because our goal is to ensure we keep consumers. And we had volume growth globally of 2% in these numbers. 2% volume translating to 9.4% sales growth. And we think that's really important to keep volume growth going. Finally, how does January look 
so far, Ivan. Is dry January really a thing, or is it just a thing people talk about? Our January start is positive right across the world. So we're seeing the market uh, strong, uh, and uh, we're feeling good about uh, uh, the, the strength in December and the continuing strength into January. Uh, and, uh, and clearly, uh, in the US, in Europe, right across the emerging markets, in China, the reopening will take a little while, a few weeks or a quarter or two, but we're very confident about China coming back strongly as well with the consumer. I also asked Menezes about the growing popularity of tequila. He said it will be a strong growth engine for the company, noting that just 15% of American households are drinking tequila versus 30% for whiskey and for vodka. So long runway there. It is the fastest growing spirit right now. Up next, former Cisco CEO John Chambers on the recent wave of tech layoffs and why that could result in dramatically lower turnover in Silicon Valley going forward. You've got the Dow pushing higher up 174. Now we're nearing the highs of the day. Salesforce, Chevron, and Microsoft are doing the heavy lifting. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get to the big picture on tech. With all the hand-wringing over the mega caps and the major pullback in enterprise spending, some of these earnings are not proving as bad as feared. Look at IBM. A beat on sales, though the stock is down more than 4%. Concerns about the miss on cash flow some deceleration in the hybrid cloud business. But as for overall spending demand, CEO Arvind Krishna tells me he doesn't see a slowdown in enterprise spending, especially in Europe where he had expected to see weakness. He also points out that their layoffs, 3,900, are just one and a half percent of the workforce, lower than that we're seeing in other places around technology and only in the parts of the business that are not the primary focus, like Kindrel, which was spun off. Look at ServiceNow. Software as a service player, stronger quarter anticipated after our interview with Bill McDermott, the CEO in Davos last week when he was very bullish. We saw 20 percent revenue growth and it would have been 25 percent without currency exposure. And then Microsoft, even though guidance came in below consensus, the company's revenue is still growing 2 percent. CEO Satya Nadella says usage of Windows is up 10 percent. The bottom line Take out some of the tech players that have big consumer exposure that expanded and boomed during COVID and are now having to give that back. Look what's happening with underlying trends in business spending on IT and software. And the picture's not as gloomy as many in the markets might think. For more on the tech landscape, let's bring in former Cisco CEO John Chambers. He says we're in the middle of a fundamental shift in labor dynamics. John, always, always an optimist. What, what is your take? on all these layoffs we've been seeing across tech. First, first, I think it's a very small percentage of the total workforce. If you'd looked at the headcount in both these companies and in the startups three years ago, it was up like 40% in three years. And in the last year, many of these companies grew their headcount almost at twice the rate that they were growing their revenue. So half of this was self-inflicted, but the numbers are relatively small. The points that you made, Sarah, are very good. Uh, and I'll compare it to 2001 in a positive way. In 2001, uh, the companies were growing very, very rapidly, but boy, when the spigot got turned off, I'll use my prior company as an example, Cisco, we went from 
40 quarters in a row of 50 to 60 percent growth to in 45 days a negative number, which is mathematically impossible. So these are relatively small on the correction side. Uh, you, the Arvin from IBM said it well. We yeah. see, I've got 20 startups. We see no weakness in enterprise spending. It is remarkably uh, solid. Uh, there are areas that are more solid, such as artificial intelligence and cybersecurity within that. And for the tech companies, uh, I think, it, especially the smaller ones, it was a good reset. When you have free money, you don't develop the basics like uh, the profitability and free cash flow. Uh, I've done that pretty well with our startups. I have now 11 unicorns, and only had two the last time we talked uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, and almost all of them are growing. So it's solid. That's the negative, however. The economy is stronger than people anticipate. Yeah. You commented about MasterCard and Tesla on the consumer side and the business side. So I think until you see a slowdown and a flattening out of the Fed activity in the first mm -hmm. step down, uh, that's probably when I would be more optimistic about the market moving. So the question is, is the resilience in the tech space and enterprise spending in particular and, and everything that's exposed, is it, is it just because the economy has more strong fundamental demand than we anticipated going into these rate hikes? And is the weakness coming or do you think this is something secular that's going to insulate certain pockets of tech. I don't think anybody's insulated from a recession, but I think the question you're leading me to is tech is here to stay. Uh, if you look at the top 25 jobs, best jobs in America, half of them are tech jobs in every category imaginable. Uh, if you look at every company going digital uh, and everyone in the market looking at how they gain competitive advantage, use automotive as an example, you differentiate your cars uh, on your uh, electronic dashboard, uh, your electronic car system and self-driving. So almost all the big moves over the next decade will be tech. Now, having said that, Sarah, you and I have seen this movie before. Uh, out of the top, let's say, 20 tech yeah. players today, uh, you'll probably only see 10 be in the top 20 10 years from now. And there is no guarantee on who wins. Uh, I would anticipate out of the top six or seven tech companies, two or three exit the decade uh, in no longer a leading position in terms of the opportunity. They will be filled by others. It's hard Do to stay on top. Do you have an opinion on which ones? Uh, well, yeah, the ones that I really like, and the numbers are pretty solid here, uh, is the cloud companies who are also uh, moving into the application stack. So out of the four large uh, cloud players, you look at Amazon, you look at Microsoft, you look at Google, you look at Oracle, they are positioned remarkably well. Probably one of them will stumble. That's just the way the market works. I, I, I personally like Oracle. I think what Larry Ellison and team is doing there yeah. is very, very creative. You talked about ServiceNow. Uh, that's yep. kind of a, 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 a new player into this market. Bill McDermott's a, a tremendous CEO and a great friend for many years. I like that one. And while we're on favorites, I want Cincinnati to win this weekend, but I want them to play the 49ers uh, here shortly. There's Ronnie Lott, Jerry Rice, and Steve Young signatures behind me. So I, I love Cincinnati. I lived there for a while. I want you to beat uh, uh, very we well on this weekend, but we'll uh, I'd love to City. see the first I, you know what? That would be a, that would be a problem for my household if it's 49ers versus Bengals. That'll be a marital strife, but would be an exciting game. I, I John, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it, John Chambers. Always good to see you. Your perspective on tech. Thank you, former Cisco CEO.
Look at Nike, one of the best performing Dow stocks over the last three months with a nearly 40% rally. Coming up, the top ranked retail analyst on Wall Street, that's JP Morgan's Matt Boss, here to explain why he thinks the stock is heading even higher after just hiking his price target to 156. We'll be right back. Check out today's stealth mover. It's Boot Barn. The stock is a real barn burner. Shares of the Western Apparel and boot retailer are roping in big gains after reporting revenue came in at a higher range than Wall Street estimates, although it did miss on the bottom line. Shareholders are encouraged by momentum in same-store sales and inventory reductions. Stock is up almost 17%. I think the Western theme is still, still trendy. Tesla shares are electric today and significantly outperforming the broader market after better-than-expected earnings. Look at the stock, up more than 10%. Up next, what CEO Elon Musk is saying about demand for EVs. That story, plus the top-ranked retail analyst raising his price target on Nike when we take you inside the market zone. We are now in the closing bell market zone. CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli is here to break down these crucial moments of the trading day. And we've got the number one ranked retail analyst on Wall Street, J.P. Morgan's Matt Boss, with a new call on Nike. We'll kick it off at the broad markets, though, Mike. We are going strong near the highs of the day. NASDAQ in particular up 1.8%. And some new names on the 52-week highs list, Starbucks, Chubb, and Oracle. John Chambers' favorite uh, tech company, as he just told us. Right now, pretty nice, resilient market. Yeah, without a doubt, Sarah. I mean, really, the market is doing pretty much everything the bulls would ask of it in January in terms of how broad the rally is. You mentioned some of those selected new 52-week highs. You have 52-week highs in general outpacing lows by a decent clip. Part of that, again, is because we're more than a year past the peak of the market, but it still shows you some traction. People feel underinvested. The S&P above 40, 50 essentially gets above that sort of downtrend that everybody's been watching for months and months, which has capped rallies in the past few attempts in recent uh, in recent months. So I think it's all to the good. We don't have a good earnings beat rate in aggregate. The market is looking a little bit beyond that. The soft landing story is still kind of building evidence for the case, though it has not proven anything. So we'll see. we got inflation numbers, and we have to see if the Fed is going to take this kind of relaxation in the markets as further ammo to push back against it. The market right now is not positioned as if it fears that. Let's hit Tesla, big part of the story today, charging higher after a record-breaking quarter. The automaker posting its highest ever sales and beating on the top and bottom line. CEO Elon Musk also forecast production could be as high as 2 million cars this year. And he spoke of high demand on the company's earnings call last night. Listen. Thus far in January, we've, we've seen the strongest orders year to date than, than ever in our history. Um, we, we currently are seeing orders at almost twice the rate of production. So, I mean, that, that, it's hard to say whether that will continue twice the rate of production, but the orders are, are high. And, um, and we've actually raised the model at Y price a little bit in response to that. So, uh, we, do not, we, we, we think demand will be good despite probably a contraction in the uh, automo- automotive market as a whole. Shares have certainly recovered from some of the losses seen last year. Worries over weakening demand, price cuts, must focus following his purchase of Twitter all had been weighing on sentiment. Mike, he needed this. He needed this good quarter to, yeah. to, to prove that what, what they're doing is still working. 
for sure. Uh, it's without a doubt a relief to people who thought it could be a, an ugly set of results and guidance and everything else. And certainly it's, I guess, encouraging. He's saying that the lower prices have elicited more orders, so you do have the demand response. But nothing really has yet changed the questions about what it's going to mean for margins given the lower prices. Uh, earnings estimates have still been going down in general for this year and next year. And then it becomes a debate, like any stock, of what to pay for those earnings. I think the company has an investor meeting coming up in a month or so. They're going to want to dazzle investors with a lot of new product stuff. And here we're still going to be creating the future. But right now it's about where are margins going for the number of cars you're likely to sell this year uh, and how much do we want to you know, place a multiple on that. So I don't think it's a full turnaround. Stock's back to where it was in mid-December. 58% off the off the highs yeah. and 57% off the lows, there you which go. gives you a picture. Let's hit retail. JP Morgan's Matt Boss, number one retail analyst on Wall Street, just raised his price target on Nike to 156 from 128. Keeps an overweight rating, of course. Boss saying the overarching takeaway from a management roadshow is that it has emerged from the pandemic as a stronger direct-to-consumer brand with a full product pipeline. He also raised targets for Foot Locker over its Nike ties, but kept a neutral rating. Matt joins us now. So you had a bunch of meetings, Matt, with management here at, at Nike. W what did you learn that made you feel more confident? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Sarah. So we, we spent the last two days with Nike. And, and like you said, the, the overarching message here was this company is exiting the pandemic in a stronger position than they entered very robust product pipeline. They talked about basketball, running, and women's, all impacted during the pandemic and all with a pent-up pipeline, the best that they've seen in years. They're resetting the marketplace. Full price selling is strong. You have 20% of revenues that historically have come from China. I think there's a micro story in China, and now you have a micro and macro reopening story emerging. Uh, plus the self-help margin drivers over the next two years, the recapture of freight, as well as some of the inventory actions. And they believe coming out of their fiscal year, which ends in May, they will be clean across the board from an inventory perspective, which I think is a huge, huge positive for the overall athletic industry. So, so you know some of the arguments that you get on, on the other side. First of all, that it's widely loved, it's expensive, you know, it's, it's outperformed. Also, you know, people aren't buying as much of that kind of clothing anymore now that they've, they've started to go out. You know, they had, they had their moment during COVID uh, along with other COVID winners. And, and the China story is far from certain. So somebody's buying it, 27% constant <laughs> currency in the, in the second quarter growth. Uh, strongest demand over the last two quarters that the brand has seen. Full price selling, even excluding some of the unit uh, liquidation, is strong double digits. So they're hitting at least, if not better, than their historical financial algorithm. Layer in the recapture of freight as well as some of the inventory actions. You have a 25% earnings growth story for the next two years. That takes you in excess of high teens operating margins multi-year, in my opinion. This is a more efficient company from an SG&A perspective on the other side of this pandemic. And it's very well run with an extremely deep bench. And I, look, I think that TAM, yeah. the total addressable market for active, is tied to casual. And I don't think anybody could argue coming out of this pandemic that that is larger on the other side than what it was before. And this is your industry leader. Oh, sure. 10 seconds. Do you like it better than Nike or Lululemon? Because I know you've always liked that story, too. Look, I, I think 
both operate in that in that uh, active segment. I think Nike has more self-help over the next 12 to 18 months. And Lulu is the story that if they continue to operate as they are, there's so many areas of that business yeah. that are still in early innings growth. Matt Boss, thank you very much for keeping us posted and everyone on the opportunity you still see in Nike shares. We've got just about under two minutes to go here in the trading day. We're at the highs of the day, Mike. What do you see in the market internals? Yeah, it's strengthened throughout the day, Sarah. It seems like a little bit of a chase uh, underway, about two to one advancing to declining volume. That was more like 50-50 around midday uh, at noon. So clearly, uh, again, the breadth of this rally has been one of its uh, stronger points. Take a look at the steel sector. This is a steel ETF relative to the market. And it's basically threatening uh, highs from early last year. And so this is part of that sort of heavier industries, global growth proxies that have been doing very well within the cyclical group. Take a look at the volatility index. Uh, it has really come in below 19 now, pretty much at the lows of the last year or so. Uh, clearly, the market not believing that there's really a lot of shock value in the PCE inflation number tomorrow uh, as we're going to be heading into a weekend before we get to the Fed meeting. Fed meeting next week, Mike. Thank you. As we head into the close, looking strong, up 1% on the S&P. On the Nasdaq, almost 2%. There's the Dow. It is higher by about 181 points at the highs of the day. Salesforce, Chevron, Microsoft, Goldman Sachs. Those are your leaders in terms of the biggest contributors. IBM is the biggest drag off earnings. Home Depot and Amgen, too, at the bottom of the list. Energy is your best-performing sector. And you can thank Chevron and a number of the other oil companies that are rallying along with it after that big buyback. Consumer discretionary is strong as well, thanks to Tesla. And so is the Nasdaq comp which is going to close up one and three quarters percent, led by Tesla, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Meta, Alphabet. They all are higher today uh, on a day where we got better GDP numbers and better jobless claims as well. That's it for me on Closing Bell. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.